Today's episode is a rebroadcast from the best of the Love in Action podcast. Enjoy the episode. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and practical love. Please share the episode with a friend so we can continue to spread this love in action message globally. So I want to get real with you, which it's not exactly a rare thing for me to do, right? You're thinking Marcel is about to get real. Hold on to your chair. But no, in all seriousness, okay, I need to ask you a question. So reflect on this for a moment. Do you ever struggle to feel loved at work? I mean, Okay, think about it and be honest. Do you feel loved right now in your workplace? Do you feel worthy when you you show up to work? Do you feel worthy after putting in a long, hard day at work? Okay, how about this? Do you feel like your employer truly values you as a human being? I mean, never mind as an employee who, you know, signed that offer letter. I mean, as a real human being. I mean, I'm raising my hand right now as someone who struggled for years back when I was doing the corporate grind with not feeling loved and not feeling worthy by my bosses, by my CEO, by my own coworkers. Uh, So here's why that's so hard for so many of us to do that, to, to feel worthy and loved at work we have to bring our full humanity, right? We have to show up with our full authentic selves. And these are places where, if you're in that place right now, consider yourself blessed, okay? Because these are places where you're you know, inspired to pursue your goals and dreams. And there's respect for one another. You know, you feel like you belong in a, in a community and there's good relationships. In other words, you feel loved, you feel worthy. So this is probably where you go. Marcel, where are you smoking? Okay, that's all a pipe dream. My employer doesn't really care about me. They just want me to get the job done. Maybe you're saying work is just a transaction. You know, I have skills they need and in exchange I get paid. Okay, fair enough. For many of you, that may be the only reality you've been exposed to. Okay, I get it. But I'm here to tell you that worthiness matters at work Feeling loved and cared for at work matters, and the evidence asserts that it does matter. My guest today is fully on board with this whole idea. Well, that's because that's the premise of her brand new book and the whole reason why I'm bringing her to this show. Amelia Dunlop is going to join us shortly to tell us that humans who feel loved and worthy at work, well, plain and simple, they flourish. They flourish. And since so many of you are in leadership roles listening in right now, pay attention because what you're going to hear, as hard as it may be for you to accept it, may transform you 
and your organization. Amelia's book is called Elevating the Human Experience Three Paths to Love and Worth at Work, published by Wiley. So, in this book, Amelia tells her story of what it means to discover you know, her own sense of love and worth in her 20 year career as a management consultant at the world's largest professional services firm, Deloitte. So, this book, Elevating the Human Experience is for anyone who knows what it's like to struggle to feel loved and worthy at work. It's, it's for people who are uncomfortable bringing their full identities to work because, you know, maybe they're female, black, brown, gay, or any of those intersections. It's also for the people who have no idea what it may feel like to struggle every day just to feel loved and worthy, but you love and lead the very people who do. So, Who is Amelia Dunlop? She is the Chief Experience Officer at Deloitte Digital and leader of the U.S. Customer Strategy and Applied Design Practice for Deloitte Consulting. Amelia helps companies develop winning strategies that combine innovation, creativity, and digital strategy. She speaks and and writes frequently about human experience creativity and customer strategy and contributes to the Wall Street Journal's CMO Journal, Adweek, and Wired. And finally, she joins us. Amelia, what an honor. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I am, yeah, I am so thrilled to have you here. You are, I mentioned this offline, you're closely aligned with the theme of the show. And I'm, you know, there's probably just three to five people, guests in the past that I can truly say, okay, this is as close as, as I've ever gotten to having a guest on to speak about love and action. So here you are. <laughs> Thank you. I think we're, I think we're going to have a good time. Me too. So we'll get into your journey um, on, you know, d- discovering, because I, I did touch on it a little bit in my introduction, you know, discovering your own sense of love and work at Deloitte. And maybe you can tie this into this question. This is tradition on the show. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> What's your story? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I think to know anything about me, Marcel, you and, and uh, your listeners would need to know that my journey is one of love and worthiness. And mm. ever since I was a little girl, I felt like I was unworthy of love. And something for me always felt like it was just a bit off. Like it was crooked, like my little pinky finger here, which I can show you that doesn't quite straighten. And kids, when I was in uh, grade school, used to try to like push it down under like the bl- block of books uh, to straighten it, and that didn't that didn't work. Um, and later, when I showed up in the work world, um, I, I used to try and hide in plain sight, right? So to hide that kind of uncomfortable, unworthy feeling, like many of us do. Um, and I never felt like anything I did was ever going to feel like I was enough. Um, and so for me, the journey has been one of what does it mean to start to learn to love myself, uh, to learn to love another, um, and to kind of love um, in the kind of the broader community that we spend a lot of time in at work. Um, and so that's what I wrote my book about. Mm. Interesting that you mentioned, okay, as a, as a female going at the ranks in, in management consulting, tell us how you arrived at writing this book, I mean, more specifically your journey, right? Did you have some, can you share some examples where 
maybe there were some obstacles that kind of kept you from really thriving and flourishing. Okay. So there's so, so much in that question. Um, I guess maybe I'll start with what is elevating the human experience? Mm. Uh, and for, for us, it's an aspiration that we set uh, almost four years ago now. Mm. Um, and what I've been doing as chief experience officer is really to try to make that mean something, come to life. Um, and it's more than just about showing up as a, as a worker, right? You talk about, we talk about the workforce or, or showing up as a customer or even a partner, it's fundamentally recognizing and acknowledging human worth before you do or say anything and nurturing growth uh, through love. Uh, so that's what we mean by elevating the human experience. Um, and you're right to, to, to point out that there's my personal journey associated with that. There's also the journey uh, in, the, in the context of the workplace where mm-hmm. we've been trying to make that um, more of a movement where um, each of us can feel like we can show up authentically. Yeah. Okay. So that begs the question, now that we have a little bit of an understanding of, okay, what does it mean when Amelia says human experience or elevating the human experience? I mean, why is it, why does that matter these days? Why is it necessary that we have, uh, that we elevate the human experience? That's so I'm smiling because uh, I feel like you've already you've already named uh, some of the reasons why I think it's necessary. Uh, I mean, I think the first reason it's necessary is um, I believe, and I think so many um, traditions and philosophies teach that the fundamental kind of human condition is one of suffering. Mm-hmm. Right? There's many things that you and I might not have in common, or many of our listeners may not have in common, but understanding that feeling of suffering, we share. Um, and so that I, that's why I believe that every experience could be made just a little bit better. Um, and that sort of that reorientation to uh, the, the kind of the positive experience. I also think it's uh, elevating human experience is necessary because um, I did a quantitative study of 6,000 people that I share in this book. And one of the most surprising findings uh, for me was something that I call the worthiness gap, where Nine out of 10 people said it mattered to them to feel worthy, which is perhaps not surprising, but about half, myself included, yeah. struggle at times to feel worthy at work. And this worthiness gap, I think, is so relevant right now when we think about so much of the, um, the great resignation, the, you know, the great reflection, um, a, lot of, a lot of the um, moment we're in with um, just reevaluating what's happening in our workplaces so it's a, I guess that's a second reason why I think um, it's really important. And then you mentioned the, the third, which is elevate the human experience because we we do our we do our best work. We are our best selves. We flourish when we feel loved and worthy. Yeah, and to me, the other the other reason why elevating the human experience is necessary. Okay, so I I've been doing a lot of work on helping to alleviate burnout, and this is pre pandemic, Amelia. When I was right. when you know, I mean, people were burning out before. Absolutely. Not a new concept, right? No, not a new concept at all. Loneliness, isolation, all those things. That, <laughs> um, all of a sudden, it's like at the forefront. And it's like people are, are talking about it like they, it just it just got dropped in the sky, right? Right. But talk to us a little bit about how workplaces have created these problems and and, and how maybe, uh, maybe, you know, something like burnout or isolation or lack of diversity, how, how are these things and a lack of self-worth kind of connected. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. So I, um, 
I do, I am aware of what seem like trends, right? So the trend around burnout, obviously the increasing um, amount of attention around diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, the focus on purpose um, and the focus on well-being. And these are all, all subjects that I, um, I support, right? I, I'm, uh, I'm very, um, you know, encouraging that we, that we are spending our time that way, but I do believe that there's some more fundamental human need that is, um, which is why uh, our workplaces uh, need to focus on those things because we all want to feel fundamentally loved and worthy that that is actually the human need at the core of each of those um, trends that we're seeing. And, uh, and so for me, elevating the human experience is a way of putting the human at the center, as opposed to what happens when you're not doing that, which is if you're not doing that, you feel burnt out. If you're not feeling heard, you feel gaslit. If you're not feeling included, you feel excluded. So I'd rather focus on the human experience than on some of those other symptoms. Yeah. Speaking of bringing your whole humanity, okay, uh, touch on this if you could, okay? This one really got to me from the research. 80% of people want to, quote, bring my whole self to work, and yet 40% said that they are, quote, part of my identity. I need to check at the door. No, it's it's true. And I think, um, so one of the things I did in addition to the quantitative research is uh, some deep eth- ethnographic research and qualitative mm-hmm. interviews just to understand and unpack some of these themes and trends. And then I share in the book my own personal experiences because those are the only ones I have the full right to share. But I, I feel like a lot of what I heard was just this idea that there was professional me and then there's personal me. And the two, you know, I can't be the same um, version of myself when I show up at work. Um, and one of the things that's been so satisfying, Marcel, since I've written this book and, sh- and just shared it out into the world, is the people who've written to me and with their own you know, n- notes of realizing that, that they could show up more authentically, that they could be more of who they really are, um, as opposed to some, some notion of who they feel like they're being told they have to be. Mm. Yeah. So the framework for the book uh, is, I mean, I, I see it as a journey for all of us. You, you know, you invite us to take the three paths um, to love and worth at work, which is the subtitle of your book. So I want to unpack each of the paths we must take to elevate our human experience. This is so good. So good. Amelia and I are going to uncover the three paths you need to take after this quick break. Hang tight. Hey, it's Marcel. Let me get honest with you for a minute. We've reached a time in history when building up strong leaders truly matters if you want to grow your business. But managing through fear, command and control, and do as I say, ways of managing, is not gonna get you there. So what will? In my research, I found that the most effective leadership boils down to six key behaviors. They are behaviors that when filtered down to every management level, can create high performance in your teams and build a great work culture. By the way, this is the new topic that I speak on at company events and conferences and virtual stages all over the world. It's great for keynotes, webinars, half-day or full-day workshops, and leadership retreats. So if you want to learn a clear and practical framework to help design the best work environment for your people to flourish, this is the way to go, and I can show you how to do it. To book me for your event, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com. 
and click on speaking. Okay, you propose that we take three paths to elevating the human experience. And, you know, the way that I interpreted the paths is that one leads to the other. Um, so what's the first path? So the first path is the, the the path of the self, where we learn what it means to to see ourselves um, as worthy of love, um, but before we say or do anything. And sometimes I like to think about it. It's it's the fact that I'm worthy, Marcel. Whether or not this conversation is like the bomb or a bomb, <laughs> and and recognizing that we we don't often tell ourselves that. Um, and I often think that for me, one of the struggles growing up was all of, that we were taught about all these sort of external affirmation. It's the kind of the, the gold stars. It's the, the stickers on the top of the page. It's the, everything you do is graded. Um, and so we, we have this mindset that we're only worthy when we get a certain letter grade or we get a certain uh, amount of recognition from another. And I think it's so important to learn to see yourself as, as worthy um, of love, particularly when we're in challenging environments. And that's exactly what our workplaces are. It's We do hard work. Uh, and so it's so important to see yourself as loved uh, first. So why don't we tell ourselves more often that, you know, that we are worthy and that uh, there's, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's a, a belief system, a mindset or our upbringing, um, how we interpret self-love. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I love the question. I think um, some of the reasons that we don't um, is, first of all, it can feel uncomfortable, right? So when was the last time someone said, hey, how was your weekend, Marcel? And you're like, oh, you know, had a great time with the kids. And I spent some time really thinking about and really processing what does it mean for me to feel loved and worthy, right? Like that's Mm, just- Awkward. (laughs) Awkward. We might not talk about it at work, right? We might not talk about it, but so that's that's one of the reasons that um, that we we don't. But I think more, you know, a little bit more to the point. Um, in the research, um, I did notice that one of the most interesting uh, points of differentiation from a kind of, um, was that the 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 likelihood which we have to speak to ourselves with words of kindness or with words with, of love. And uh, one of the things that jumped out at me was there was not really a statistically significant difference from between men and women, which you could you could imagine there would be, but there wasn't a statistical difference. The only real difference was uh, people who self-identified in our survey as of Black or African American descent were much more likely to use words of self-love and to use words uh, speaking to themselves kindness. And I thought that was really curious. I was really interested in, well, why is that the case? And so, again, I went and did some of those um, ethnographic interviews Mm. and followed up. And what I learned was if the world is inhospitable to you and if the world is much less likely to give you that positive feedback and be welcoming of you, you have to learn. Uh, It's a matter of survival to learn to love yourself, even in the face of external challenges. So um, I feel like we have a lot to learn in terms of what it means to um, speak to ourselves with love. I feel like I have a lot to learn about how to speak to myself um, with love. I don't know if you can, if we can get into uh, examples of how that that is done, especially as a man. I mean, it's not you know this is this is like the the touchy feely terrain that so many <laughs> men aren't willing to venture into. But I well, like the fact that you said that the you know the through your study you found that 
was it African American men or just black men in general are are much more willing to to tell them or speak to themselves with words of kindness of self love? I'm wondering, am I missing out <laughs> as a white male? <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible. So um, it was the difference between um, African American men and women, um, and 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 all other races. Mm. Um, so I guess a couple of things. I should probably just define Marcel what I mean by the word love. So we Please. should talk about that. Yes, um, because I do think that using the word love and work in uh, in the same sentence can feel risky and, and a little bit provocative. Um, but what I mean by love is much closer to the Greek definition of eudaimonia, uh, which is to flourish. And as you know, there are seven different words for love in the Greek language to R one in the English language. Mm. And flourishing is really important. Um, and then the other way that I think about the, the definition of love, I go back to um, Eric Fromm, who in the 1950s wrote The Art of Loving. So the way I think about it is love is the choice that we make to, to extend ourselves for our own or another's growth. So there's that growth orientation, that growth mindset, that flourishing mindset. Mm-hmm. When you think about it that way, it's like, oh, wait a second. Like, that's, that's not risky. That's not provocative. And this is where I like to think about the fact that love is present in the workplace today. And let's talk more about how we cultivate uh, more uh, love in the workplace. So I feel like it's it's important to just get that out there sort of definitionally. And then I'd you know, love to hear your reactions to it. But then I do want to talk come back to what you asked in terms of how do we do it more practically. But um, any reactions to the definition? Well, um, I, I like all of it, I, especially the growth mindset part. When, when I frame it into that, into that, you know, that understanding, then anybody is then, uh, well, anybody should be able to, to be able to do that, to pull that off. Um, because to, to me, understanding self-love uh, is understanding self. Before you love self, you have to know who you are as a human being uh, and then allow for, allow for those, those, allow for those the self-kindness and the self-compassion uh acts to then to to kick in and and i think that there's immense growth in in that area that not too many people want to delve into it because they're afraid of what they're going to discover and so in to me in the self-discovery i learned so much so much about me about my perception of the world how other people perceive me even right so i think i mean that's how i interpreted all that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think um, I think I want to tell you a story about a lot of how I learned to get beyond that sort of uncomfortable understanding of what it means mm-hmm. to love yourself. Um, and it was in the context of an obstacle, right? So we keep coming back to the, the fact that it's hard. Um, and so I had just received, this is a couple of years ago now, some really challenging feedback because there is no there is no work uh, without feedback, right? We're always getting getting and receiving feedback. Uh, and in this case, I'd received feedback uh, that was really hard for me to hear uh, and internalize. Um, it, I was told by a, an older male colleague at the time that um that I was haughty and that I was um, not deferential enough to him. And it really hurt, right? It was one of those things where I felt like I was walking around with like literally like the letter H on my forehead for a mm. while. And I spent time processing this with um, a good friend who's also a personal coach and just a, a wonderful human being. And she said to me that, Amelia, you need to learn what it means to grow in vulnerability. 
was like, well, clearly you're just wrong. <laughs> you're not usually wrong, but I think you're wrong because I'm feeling pretty vulnerable right now, feeling pretty <laughs> hurt right now. That can't possibly be the case. And she said, no, that in order to continue to grow professionally, we need to learn to grow personally. And it's that whole head and heart to sort of show up equally. And it may, this may make total sense to you already, Marcel, this may make sense to your listeners. But to me at the time, it's like, I have to grow with and show up with more heart, not less in, in the workplace. Um, and so then she challenged me to, to, um, to learn to speak to myself with words of love. Um, and so she, she actually asked me to write down the 30 reasons why I'm lovable. And I was like, um, can I get my daughter to do that for me? Because she's pretty awesome. And I think she loves me. And she's like, nope, 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 you need to do it. And I really struggled. It was actually really hard to think about why am I lovable? Not just because I'm a, I'm, I'm a good loving person to someone else, or I'm, I'm a good mother, or we often think of ourselves as loving because we're good friends to other people, but to come down to fundamentally why I am lovable. Uh, and I, I share in, in the book that um, my list starts with, I am lovable because I have a warm smile. Mm. And so then the, um, the invitation I give you know, to, to you and to your listeners, Marcel, is to, to, to reflect on that question. You know, how often do we think about what are the reasons why we are lovable? Have you written it down? Have you shared it with anyone? Um, and do you believe it? Mm, okay. Do you believe it? Well, okay. So a good exercise to start, start our exploration and self-discovery of of, um, you know, are we lovable? It's just to basically spend some time writing down a list of all of the, just like your coach told you to do, right? Why am I lovable is a good question to start out with and enlist all the ways that you are. I mean, people have to, I would venture to guess that everybody is going to come up with some, some ways that they are lovable, right? Towards self or others. I would I, I, I would so. think that's the human experience. You always will find something in there. I hope so. I mean, mm. yes, of course I do. I hope so. And I'm an optimist. So I say I will say yes that that is the case. But the reason I added that little bit at the end about mm. do you believe it is because I often think about um, another very practical thing is we believe the voice that's in our head simply because we hear it most frequently, right? If you just think about like the voice in your head, you know what it sounds like. And I don't know about you, but the voice in my head isn't always very kind to me, right? Isn't always positive and will say things to me that I would never say to, to you, to you know, a colleague, to my child, and that we can be really critical, right? And that's the, the inner critic. And we tend to believe the negative things that our inner critic says just because of the familiarity of our own voice. And so what would it take for us to start to believe the positive things as well? So yeah, to to shift our voice in our own heads about and and you're right. There is a script that plays out in our heads uh, because of whatever uh, you know trauma in our in our previous history that has led to self, low self esteem, whatever. Uh, can, I'm I'm curious though. Can you share what what <laughs> what voice actually sometimes speaks to you? What is what is your voice telling you? You know your inner critic. What is it saying? Oh my goodness. Um, so it's my inner critic. Um, 
I will, I will say used to, because I feel like I've been um, actively making a habit of trying to be kinder to myself. Um, but I'll say my inner critic used to refer to me as foolish girl, which is obviously a phrase I would never um, speak to sort of someone else. Um, and it's just that, that reflex of like foolish girl, why'd you do that? And it's also the sense that I am not that little girl, you know, with the, at, you know, at five years old with a crooked uh, pinky little finger and sort of being able to see myself um, as loved and worthy um, and not, not as foolish or little. Yeah. My inner critic says, <clears throat> you're not good enough or smart enough to talk to Amelia or, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank for that guest, right. Wh- right. whoever that guest is, but uh, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's, that falls in the territory of imposter syndrome or not, but uh, you know, and, and I always have to remind myself that that is a lie and mm-hmm. it's a lie that is scripted in my head that, um, that I should not follow because I get, uh, you know, after every conversation, I realize that it, these are my peers. Um, <laughs> and still though, that's what, that's what the inner critic is saying. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that the problem also with the inner critic is if you start to believe the inner critic, it actually starts to influence your actions. Um, and that's where other people start to get involved, mm. right? Where we, uh, we might think that we're being sort of self-deprecating or we might think that we're just feeling unworthy, but what does that sound like to somebody else? Um, and do we, you know, and so I think that's, that's what then very quickly gets into that second path where I think you could argue that the, doing the work on yourself is like, well, that's a bit selfish, right? It's like, no, no, doing the work on yourself is critical, you know, as a leader in particular, yeah. because you have a job to do. You have to now mirror back the worth into somebody else. Mm. And that's the second path. Okay. Let's talk about a little bit about that. And, and also how do we cultivate that, <coughs> that kind of love at work, you know, through that path? Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about, so the second path is um, really about seeing the love and worthiness in another. And I often like to think about um, E.M. Forster's quote where he's, he writes, only connect. And he doesn't say only connect with the people who are most like you or only connect with the people who are you know most intimate in your personal family life. It's just only connect. And when we connect, it's when we see somebody else as worthy. And perhaps we see them as worthy before they see themselves as worthy. Um, and that's a beautiful thing when you can start to, to mirror back to someone their worth that they aren't even yet seeing in themselves. So hold on a second. So that the person that you are seeing through the lenses of, you know, of, of uh, love and worth for another person may not be there because they may not have walked the first path themselves of self-love. Yes, that's correct. Sheesh. Okay, keep going. <laughs> this yeah, is good. Well, well, and I think it's um, so I talk about the idea of mirrored worth, where there's the worth that I can see in myself. There's a worth, let's say, I can see in you, but um, but the mirrored worth is when um, the the you, you can somebody else sees in me the the same or as high worth that I see in myself, and so it's it's mirrored back. It's sort of it's a, it's mutual. It's um, because I think. There's times where um, you know we can be we can be receive the kind of external gold stars. We can receive the kind of you know praise, right? The pats on the head that you just sort of disregard. Like by the next day, you've forgotten it, right? Because mm-hmm. it didn't mean anything to you because you weren't able to internalize it. And then there's that journey we've been talking about where we really start to see ourselves as worthy for ourselves. But that magical kind of upper right quadrant is when 
we see each other um, as a, as worthy as we see ourselves. Okay. Okay. Any examples of how that how that happens? <laughs> that magical quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Exactly. Um, I mean, I think what I what I explored a lot in the book is the ways that we can do that um, as allies. And um, allyship is so important uh, in the in the work context. And I think the, there's four ways that we can do that. The, f- the first is as a friend, right? The friend is the person who they don't care what feedback you just received. They just want to be there with you, right? Yeah. They're going to share a coffee, share a joke, you know, have a chat. They are the ones who are just uh, with you on that journey. Uh, and that's a really great form of allyship. Um, the second is the mentor uh, who has the wise words, you know, can offer you a coaching, just like a you know, just a short um, kind of way to help help you kind of change, uh, see the world a little bit differently. And I used to think that that was kind of it, right? You could be a friend, you could be a mentor, and that was what we were called to do as leaders. But then I realized there's this whole other level um, of sponsorship and, and being a benefactor. Mm-hmm. And so sponsorship, I've learned, is a lot more about using our power, whether it's formal or, in, or informal, to remove obstacles for somebody else. Uh, when they aren't in the room, right? Or um, use your power to kind of put their name in the hat or advocate in their behalf. So it's not just saying, I'm going to coach you, right? I'm going to give you wise words, like you have to go get back out there in the game. It's actively uh, putting someone in a position that they might not have otherwise um, had the opportunity for. Um, And then the fourth is the benefactor is all three, right? So you're a friend, you can be a mentor, you can be a sponsor, They, they do overlap. And the benefactor is much more of a witness to the journey over a longer period of time. Um, there's a there's there's a real sense of being seen and known over a period of, of a longer career, and that's really special. Um, yeah. And to have that in our lives, but also I encourage um, readers and also your listeners to think about not just who are these people for for me, right? Who are these people for us? But how are we those active um, allies uh, sh- sharing kind of love and worth back to other people? Okay. So sticking with the still, we're walking on the second path now. We're walking along and bam, big boulders in the way of the path, obstacles. What were they or what are they? Oh my goodness. There's, there are more obstacles to connecting than than you and I can talk about. Right. Um, And I think one of the reasons it's, it's important to talk about these obstacles is because I feel like there's a way in which some of these things that around loving and worth and sort of seeing each other as worthy sound simple, right? They sound intuitive, they sound easy, but they are not, right? There are so many obstacles. And, and I, I talk about in, in the book, the idea that, you know, there's, there's the obstacle of technology, right? There's the obstacle where um, there's distance, there's the fact that, that our, our phones can connect us and, you know, the asynchronous communication can leave us really wondering like, what did they really mean by that mm. text? Or did they miss the text? Or did they just deliberately not send the text? And there's so many ways in which we can um, miss each other, right? And mm. kind of um, disc, the, the disconnect. And I also think that in this moment that we've all been having for the last almost two years now, mm-hmm. where we're working with colleagues we may never have met in person, we're we're working in environments where um, we're sort of there's the, the Zoom fatigue, and so what does it mean to connect with somebody when you don't even know kind of them in, in the sort of three three dimensions? 
So I think there's there's obstacles um, everywhere in terms of e- even just do I have enough time? Did I slow down enough to actually see you as a human being as opposed to the transaction we're trying to get out the door? Okay. So the way I'm seeing uh, this is really speaking to me about the belonging piece and and that the connection and, and the belonging. But I think there's a real difference. Yes, connecting is important, but when you belong to a tribe of people with shared values and commitments, it elevates the, <laughs> here we go, it elevates the human experience. Yeah. Um, and, and and to me, whether you're in a digital environment, you're re- 100% remote or in a hybrid, or maybe you went back in the office. I think that um, for, for workers to flourish, and I mean, how many studies have I read about the fact that when you um, feel like you belong, and there's respect and loyalty, and there's you know psychological safety. All those things are going to translate to to a better work environment. Which there's your business case right there. You know you have more results and more productivity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I I often think about is some of these things seem intuitive, and in it's definitely the type of world I want to live and the type of workplace I want to be a part of. But we've also done the research to demonstrate that there are sort of the business results going to also follow, right? And those organizations that that focus on this human experience um, are twice as likely to outperform their peers over a three-year period. And I love that, right? Because it is that demonstration that uh, feeling human, feeling seen and heard um, can, you know, can, does lead to that um, those longer-term business results. Mm. And then I guess that's the third path, right? Where um, when we show up at work, um, we don't we we don't necessarily have all you know all the time in the world to have the the one on one coffee chats with the the single individual who we'd like to um, better sponsor or become a better ally to. So I think about that. um, Where what does it mean to leave someone better off, no matter how brief that interaction? And that's the challenge. Right. Where, you know, there may be, you know, you've got thousands of listeners, we've got, you know, hundreds or thousands of employees. How do you leave people better off no matter how brief that interaction? Uh, And that gets to the whole system design of the communities that we that we have in the workplace. Okay, so if you were to put a label on this, uh, this path, what, what is it called? So this is the the third path um, where we kind of learn to kind of love each other and see each other as worthy in, in the community of work. Yeah, that, there you go. So, okay. Community of work. Gotcha. All right. Are there specific examples on how we can cultivate that kind of uh, community love at work? There are, again, it's one of those things where there's so many, right? Um, what I'd like to do is maybe we should talk a little bit about um, what does it mean to acknowledge that there's a system? right? Um, that's already in place that none of us alive created it, right? We all sort of entered a workforce and entered a, um, sort of hierarchies that um, that kind of predated us. So I think a lot of what it takes is to start to see the system. I said, I've, I've written an article recently around the idea of what it means to uh, make the invisible visible, uh, the water mm. that, we're, that we're all swimming in, so to speak. And so I, I think it's important uh, not to, to ask people to lean into the existing systems of today um, that, you know, in many cases have felt people, um, you know, feel marginalized, but to actually deconstruct and redesign them. Uh, and this is where I, I really, and I invite people to think about um, what does it mean to create spaces where people feel, um, you know, they can show up 
with greater sense of equity, um, feel seen, valued, heard, uh, welcomed, oriented into those spaces. Um, because you don't elevate anyone's experience generically, you have to uh, really understand what their specific needs are. Yeah. And so since you're talking about systems, well, there are systems that uh, lend to being an obstacle that might get in the way of, uh, you know, elevating that kind of community love. What would those obstacles be? So uh, this is where I think it's, um, it's one of those sensitive, it's a sensitive subject. And I feel like I try to, to kind of walk that line in the book where I just acknowledge that you know, our, our workplaces have been, um, you know, there've been so many biases that have been built in. There's so much unexamined privilege. There's so many ways in which uh, people show up um, and don't feel like they, that they represent the, um, the kind of the norm, right. Of what is normal. I think it's important as we think about new generations entering the workforce for the first time, right. So we've got Gen, Gen Z entering the workforce and their needs and expectations and wants may be different than those of us who've been there for a long time. Yeah. Um, so there, I think there's 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 all kinds of obstacles, um, and part of it is just starting to notice them, starting to see when uh, someone feels like they are not included, that they're not, uh, they don't belong. Right? You used that word earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I, to me, that speaks to a leader being more self-aware of their surroundings. Um, and again, like you said, the generational no needs of the of today's workers are much different than my generation. <laughs> but um, okay, so Amelia, speak direct. Oh, by the way, before we move on, um, is there have we covered the three paths? Uh, I think. I mean, is there anything else you want to speak to any of the paths that we didn't? That is really crucial. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking because I mean, as, as you know, I feel like it's we, we we touch lightly on on each of the three. Yeah, um, and and I think one of the things that I would say is they're not necessarily sequential, right? I do think um, I do think you can that we have the you know a duty and an obligation to to show up on all three every day, right? Okay, um, to to make sure that we're making strides, uh, and I also think. There's the the journey element is is really key too. It's like there's not a point of arrival, right? There's no there's no um, and now we're and now we're done. <laughs> um, we we are always a work in progress. I know I'm a work in progress, um, and I think it's but it's definitely a journey that's um, worth going on. Yeah, it's a it's a winding road and it's a journey, um, just like leadership is, right? You never arrive at the top of the mountain. Um, so okay, so speak directly to the manager. Now, that could be a line manager all the way up to a manager who is uh, sitting in the C-suite, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. What's one simple tip? One simple tip for how they can validate someone's self-worth starting today. People want to be seen, and particularly now, right, when we're, we're remote and uh, distant, that um, I think one simple thing um, is uh particularly you know this time of year and the kind of um kicking off the new year is is seeing someone um, and kind of catching them in the act of of the good work that they're doing um and very specific forms of gratitude um and so there's a lot that's written about you know you don't just say thank you hey marcel that was a great job it's um you know being specific about hey marcel you did a great job you were really well prepared you asked really thoughtful questions and you made me feel really comfortable um, as your guest Right. So being really specific in the types of feedback that we give. Um, and, 
you would be surprised at um, just how much um, that changes the kind of the arc of that person's day um, for feeling noticed um, and kind of caught in the act of doing their good, good work. Yeah. And that's why we have about 40 years of research from Gallup that's basically said the same thing that uh, one of their, uh, their, you know, their uh, KPIs or from the Q12 survey is they measure employee engagements. And one of the questions is about, have you been recognized in the last, I forget now, six months or six weeks anyway, or, or even this week, it does something special to the human spirit when somebody lifts, lifts you up and builds you up through gratitude. And yeah, no, I talked to my leadership. Yeah. yeah. I was saying, I talked to my leadership team um, just this past, like this past week and said, when, when things go badly, we spend hours and hours and hours kind of, you know, digging into them and understanding them. I just want to take a few minutes to talk about the things that are going really, really well. Mm. And, and you, you kind of catch people by surprise, like, oh yeah, you're right. It's going well. And we don't talk about it when it goes well. Um, and so that's, again, a, a very simple thing that leaders yeah. out there, I think, can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this pandemic has uh, disrupted millions of lives and, uh, you know, feelings of, of self-worth and, and love are, have been pretty low. I, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's kicked our butts. So tell us a, a little bit about any new habits that, that you have personally adopted to kind of reaffirm your own self-worth. And that might be tips for us as well. Yeah. Well, I mentioned it, I think a little bit earlier, but I think all of us are trying to live healthier lives. You, uh, I, uh, eat better, uh, all of those things. But I think if I'm honest, the, the habit that I'm really trying to work towards is, uh, to be kinder to myself, um, and to demonstrate, uh, not only through my words, which we talked about a little bit earlier in terms of how do we speak to ourselves with kindness and, and yeah. love, but also in my actions, um, and I think one of the things we all need um, is really healthy boundaries where we're not working all the time, where we're not available all the time, we're not Zooming all the time. Um, and we are, uh, it's not selfish to um, to take care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been, uh, well, you exceeded my expectations for this conversation. And, uh, and so we bring it home. Unfortunately, I wish we had uh, a, a four hour window. <laughs> we can go on and on and on. But we bring it home with two questions. Tradition on the show. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like to share? You know, and this is one where I would I would definitely need another four hours just to talk about. But I think with all the things that are going on in the world, um, I really do feel like my my purpose, my calling, the thing that really pulls at my heart is how do we make the world and make the places of work feel more human. Um, there's so much technology that's wonderful. There's so much data that's amazing, but let's make sure that we're using all of those good resources um, and towards feeling just a little bit more human. Well stated. And finally, you get to bring us home your way with a closing remark or a key takeaway to keep us inspired. I think the thing that I would want listeners to hopefully take away is this idea that um, you're worthy of love. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it seems counterintuitive. I would encourage you to explore, uh, you know, explore it in your life, explore why it feels risky, why it feels provocative. Um, and as you said earlier, that there are people, just know that there are people who are struggling to feel loved and worthy, even if you might not be. Yeah, yeah. Here are my takeaway, my quick takeaway, if I may. Uh, something that really stuck out to me is, is that we need to learn to grow in vulnerability 
Uh, and that means really grow personally as a human being and show up with more heart. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Well, woo, thank you so much for joining us. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, can you point them into a few places? Yeah, absolutely. So there's my website, um, ameliadunlop.com. Uh, you can find me also on, on LinkedIn um, and on Twitter. The book, again, is Elevating the Human Experience, Three Paths to Love and Work, excuse me, Love and Worth at Work. She is Amelia Dunlop. It's been real. It's been fun. We have to do this again. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I'm coming back with my final thoughts on this conversation and uh, also leave you with my one action item to create impact and improve your leadership. Well, regardless of how small or large your company is, and let's acknowledge that if you're a high-level leader of a national or global firm, it's going to be virtually impossible to show love to every single employee under your care. But you can give them the same amount of love and leave them feeling better off, no matter how brief the exchange, even if you don't see or talk to them you know, for another year. So here's your action item straight out of Amelia's book. Love in action is loving each person you come across with the intention of leaving them better off. So what does that look like? Whether it's a moment of gratitude, a a piece of wisdom, a kind word, or some truth spoken into their very souls that is going to lift them up, this is love in action in the workplace. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.